So, um, yeah, I am, um, I'm a human being. I'm an atheist. I, um, I can see that I'm predisposed to addictive behavior. Um, from my earliest memories, having low self-esteem and a big ego. Um, I think I said I'm a male, identify as a male. A lot of this stuff, I mentioned this because there's some people in this meeting actually, um, and pardon me if I jump around on here because I've actually really intentionally tried to not think about what I wanted to share about or, you know, I've, I've got some sort of kind of notes and stuff like that because I think um, sometimes I find it really difficult to sort of put a bit of chronology to it. But there's some people in this meeting that um, I've met probably 18 months ago who have uh, shaped the way that I look at my life in the 12 Self Fellowship, and I really, really appreciate that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to bother mentioning their names. They know who they are. And um, and I don't only mean um, the way that I perceive um, how I'm able to actually live in this fellowship, but also people who have um, have had probably experiences with, like, gender stuff, you know, with um, the pronoun thing and all that sort of stuff. And it's, it's kind of been really good food for thought, you know. I see Instead of me sort of um, just sort of like meandering along, it's, it's, it's really sort of opened me up to um, just, just thinking about my life a little bit differently and the way that I want to sort of kind of live within the framework of this fellowship, you know. And um, I guess what's happened to me over the last 18 months doing secular meetings, and I'll just talk about that to start with because this is where I am um, and that's how I got here, um, is that number one, I noticed there was a lot of big fishes in small ponds and it kind of wasn't really attractive to me, you know, because it's easy for me to talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles, you know. I can, I can bore you to death for a couple of hours without taking a breath, you know, and it's kind of something that wasn't sort of sitting too well with me. And when I come to these secular meetings, I noticed that there, there, was, a, there, was, there were subtle differences in the way that people shared. Um, there was, um, I guess there was an element of comfortability in people sharing about stuff that wasn't necessarily telling the line with NA speak, you know, and it started to sort of kind of resonate to me and, 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 and just sort of kind of made sense to me. And it gave me a new sense of purpose because I've got to be honest, I've been clean for 23 years and five months and for probably 20 odd years of those at that time in NA, um, I allowed NA to speak for me and I parroted a lot of the literature, even though I didn't connect with it. Um, and I would hear Carlos ID say he's an atheist, you know, and I would think about that. And it's like, well, there's a lot of stuff that I've gone through um, in, in all the literature and all the writing, all the stuff that I've done. And there were just big chunks of it that I just didn't connect to. I just didn't connect to. And, um, and it wasn't even so much trying, but it's just that I didn't connect to it, you know, and I sort of kind of come to the, I guess, the understanding that I am an atheist, you know, I don't believe in God. Um, Religion makes me feel uncomfortable. And um, how the fuck do I actually continue to exist in the NA fellowship when I hear a lot in mainstream meetings, people talk about that three-letter word, which has a meaning and everyone fucking knows what it means. You know, um, people can deny it, but it does and it happens. And um, and I started to um, kind of pick fault with it. I started to not listen to the message in mainstream meetings. And um, so I was getting nothing from it, you know. And then fortunately, by a set of circumstances, I, um, I was browsing the Australian in a um, meetings list and I saw this little meeting in Frankston in um, Victoria which said atheist, agnostic and free thinkers. 
And I got onto this meeting and there was uh, young Elvis and Ronnie and Anthony um, expunging the virtues of um, this secular meeting. And I kind of felt at home straight away. You know, it was um, it was a really nice experience. And it took a bit of time because I, I got to be honest, I was a bit, a bit of me against them. You know, me, the, you know, kind of coming to the understanding about being an atheist against the, the God botherers and all that sort of stuff. And then I realised in meetings that I didn't need to justify why I was, but just how I lived my life as an atheist in the fellowship, you know. And um, and so here I am, you know. Um, yeah, what is it now? It's fucking October 2021. And I have no idea what day it is. I have no idea what time it is. You know, I just know that I'm here. I'm really grateful that I'm here. So, in saying all that, um, my earliest memories were, as I said before, um, I grew up in a household that was an emotional desert to parents who were children of um, parents who came from a world war. So, I think it was an unrealistic expectation that these people were going to have any concept of, you know, uh, dealing with their emotions and, and having any tools to navigate their way through it. So I was brought up in that environment, you know, and it wasn't the world's worst environment. My father was quite, um, he was uh, he was a big figure, Serbian man, um, very angry all the time. So I lived in fear, but it was essentially, it was that typical Australian household, you know, sort of, um, you know, three kids and whatnot. But I just remember living, my earliest memories are that I lived in fantasy. I did not know how to interact with the world. I felt different from my earliest memories and I just did and I lived in fantasy and I kind of never really sort of um, matured through that for a long, long period of time and just still to this day, I still can be that person. I can still go back there, you know, and um, so just not having those tools to to sort of to deal with stuff and to navigate my way through it, it's just um, it's just made it incredibly um, difficult to connect with the world, you know, and, um, and, and, I, and I could talk about it like going through school and high school and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, truly I, I'd rather get to the nuts and bolts of, you know, of what happened to me when I started to use and then and post using and stuff like that. And so, you know, just to go through that whole process and to become a, a you know, a teenager and start working and still having no identity, still having no clue on um, who I was um, and not connecting with my feelings and my emotions other than I knew I was angry, you know, um, I was scared um, and a few other things, but it was a real um, um, sterile sort of kind of life that I felt like I was living. I was just, I was just, I was just a human being, you know, I was just existing um, without really connecting to anything. And, um, the irony was that of that is that I'm a really emotional dude. I'm really fucking sensitive, you know. Um, for some reason, I'm the only one of my entire family, about my mum and dad's side, who who is creative. You know, I got into the music stuff. I was in the music game for twelve years, um, and I went down that path. So when I finished sort of kind of doing that thing at home, and then I got the fuck out of Dodge and moved into the city, into the um, that inner city music scene and stuff, I found a bunch of hombres that were fucking speaking my language you know and that language wasn't about asking how you felt but it was actually just about taking drugs and fucking you know the wild west i guess and it was really really attractive i didn't care that i if i was gonna live or die 
Um, there was no consideration to the future. And to be quite honest, and um, I've got to say that everyone who was in that game were pretty much fucked up on drugs anyway, you know. And it was only in hindsight that later on, you know, like a dec decade later, I used to wonder what happened to all these people. And, and then when I fucking got clean, I realised they either died or they got clean, you know what I mean? And um, so I went through that whole process of, you know, the music thing. And to be quite fair, it was just another environment. It was just another opportunity for me to wear a hat to act as if just to fit into part of something, you know. And whilst I actually did, I was creative and I am creative and, and I was part of that, there was still a big part of me that didn't really connect to people and didn't really connect to anything that I was doing. And um, so the drugs were fantastic, you know, and the whole, you know, smoking pot and drinking alcohol and, and, and snorting speed and then jacking speed up and then, you know, fucking um, peyote and all that sort of jazz, that all came along. But there was a point in, in my life where there's a bunch of people who um, were kind of fucking dark characters and they're from Elvis's neck of the woods down in Victoria. They're, they're, the musos down there are a lot fucking heavier than the Sydney dudes and, and I got involved with them. I was playing in a band that had... Um, um, some musicians that came from Victoria, from Melbourne, Victoria, and um, and I got introduced to the needle, like full tilt, you know, on on, on the gear. And um, I remember, I still remember the first time I shot up heroin. Um, and I'm not going to neg rave too much in case it um, puts people off the air. But I, I, I really, I fucking vomited everywhere. And I was on the footstep of this guy. This guy was quite well known in the industry in his apartment or his house in the city. And I remember vomiting everywhere, a bit going back for more. I just, something happened to me and it just shifted and I just felt part of something. But what it did for me, it took away that care, that care factor, you know. And then what it did is that like, you know, we would, that bunch of people would get together and we would do this stuff and then it became like a more constant thing. And then it became the point where, you know, it was a daily thing and then a few times a day and then the behaviours, you know, all the illegal stuff and all the thieving and all the fucking dishonesty, you know, and dragged me down to a level um, where it took me before I got clean. But I truly, I used to listen to people in meetings um, and people in early recovery who did these fucking new age rehabs and shit like that who are really connected to their feelings. And I've got to be honest, it took me fucking seven years to fucking have a feeling, you know. It took me seven years to write about my dad. So I wouldn't know a feeling if I fell over it for a long, long time when I was clean, you know. And people would share about that they would have these conscious sort of kind of memories or these conscious thoughts about, you know, why they were using and when they were using and stuff like that. And and I, I don't know. I don't know whether I'm just a stupid man or what the fuck's going on with me, but I just loved being stoned. I loved what it did to me. I loved the fact that it just took away the care factor. I loved the fact that it put me into a state where I would read a paragraph in a paper 20 times before I woke up because I dropped my cigarette and I was burning a hole in my leg or the lounge. You know what I mean? It was great. You know? And to the point where the end game was about not waking up from it, you know? Um, so where it was when it started to feel part of that whole seen the group of people um to where it took me was just two different worlds you know and um you know the behaviors that went along with it and the isolation you know i just 
in reflection and in, in writing about stuff and in step work, um, I could kind of pinpoint in certain parts of my using where people would start to drop off because they would either, as I said, they'd either die or they'd get claimed. But there was also a bunch of people who were, um, I guess they weren't really, sort of couldn't really identify or weren't, wouldn't identify as a, as a true addict. You know, they, they were able to stop and just move on and move away from it and stuff. And, and some of us that kept going through this, um, it just became a little bit real for some people, you know. And from being that kid, when I was growing up, who was fucking scared of everything, and I remember consciously saying when I started to go out that I would never, ever touch drugs to be the worst one out of the lot. And I don't mean I fucking used to mix up in the walk and, you know, I was a fucking bank robber and all that sort of shit. I just mean I was the last man standing and I thought I'd never do this and I fucking did and I just kept going. You know? and, um, so out of all the circle of people that I knew that I played in bands with and all that sort of stuff, um, just started to die, you know, a couple of them got clean which I bumped into later. Um, and then I um, I was just left holding the can, man. My best mate, Stuart, he was in a really successful band. He killed himself. He wrote a letter um, and he blamed everyone. I remember his mother ringing me up and fucking just, just wailing on me and I'm just like, well, whatever the fuck, and just had another shot, you know, I didn't give a shit. By that stage, I was just a cold, dead fish. And... Um, and I continued to use for a couple more years, you know. And it got to the point for me where I was like bumper shooting cigarette butts on bus shelters, you know, as I was like 31. You know, so again, I don't think I was a stupid man, but it took me to places where I just didn't think I would go. And I guess the last place for me that I um, seriously contemplated was about selling my ass, you know. Um, I was obviously a lot younger, a lot prettier. <laughs> But yeah, I contemplated it. And then I don't know, it's just um I made a call one day to um I was homeless. I remember I was homeless. I was in this park in the inner city and um I had a bag of clothes. I just ripped off my dealer and I hocked one of his guitars and I got a fifty dollar shot. And um and I rang an ex of mine who had just been, for whatever reason, been thinking about me and had been um, resourcing detoxes. And um, I happened to be 50 metres away from this detox. So I don't know what that means. I don't know. Um, by that stage, I'd fucking, I'd been doing the whole methadone thing as well. I'd done that three times, um, you know, and had to get back on the gear just to get off the dome and, and all that sort of shit. So at this stage, when I rang my ex, I was right in the middle of a really healthy heroin and methadone habit. And um, I was just seriously on the bones of my ass. And to show me how powerful the concept of this being a disease, which was the language that I understood for a long time in Narcotics Anonymous, um, I walked over to that detox. They let me in. I stayed there for 11 days. Um, I was that fucking brain dead that I was in a room by myself at the front of this detox and there was two beds in this, in this room and I slept in this one bed and they didn't have doorknobs because they didn't want people to lock themselves in or close themselves in. But there was a fucking hall light was left on and where I was lying was right in my eye line. And of course I couldn't sleep because I was detoxing off the fucking gear and dome. Do you think I moved beds to around the corner? 
I just kept rolling from side to side and putting my arm over my head. You know what I mean? Like, I, I seriously think about that a lot. I don't know why, but I just think about that a lot. I was just, yeah, I was fucked. So for 11 days, um, what felt like exposed nerve endings was the most horrible experience in my life to this day that's personally happened to me in regards to the way I felt. And the things that I would need, I would try and do just to get some comfortability. And um, I fucking did it 11 days. Now, I reckon one or two people here would know the answer to this question. What did I do on day 12 when I got out? I fucking used heroin. Of course I used heroin, you know. And it just, it just continued. It continued. And I've got to be honest, there's parts of my story which are really, really dusty. Um, I don't know if I've sort of damaged parts of my brain, but there's some parts that are just missing. Um, but I know I ended up in a, in a DOS house in Darlinghurst. Um, silly me took the third floor where you could smoke, not really understanding or realising that all the fuckers up there had emphysema, so you could, couldn't sleep anyway, you know, 31 years of age. But remembering something from this detox experience was that I went to a meeting. This meeting was on a Thursday night in King's Cross, which is kind of a well-known suburb in Sydney for all the um, all the, the villains and criminals and the um, and the, the night workers and stuff. And I um, I went to this meeting, and there were people in this meeting who um, had leather jackets with padded shoulders. The blokes had ponytails and like bald spots and I'm just sitting in this fucking meeting thinking that I was better than whilst hanging out from fucking smack and dome because I don't think I probably I from memory I don't think I was fucking I think I was clean for I don't know how long wouldn't have been a day um and I went to this meeting and I was just sweating bullets looking at all these people thinking that I was better than them you know and um it was just it was a fucking bizarre experience. And that was the first time I'd ever been um, exposed to the, the rituals of Narcotics Anonymous Means where they would hand the, um, the book around and read whether it was uh, the big book or whatever it was, but they would hand it around and people kind of knew to read a paragraph, you know, and I'm just sweating bullets because this book's getting fucking closer to me and I didn't know what to, you know, I didn't know what to do. But I, um, I made it through. Um, I don't even know whether I spoke to anyone. I don't know. I don't have those memories where people came up and fucking asked me how I was and gave me phone numbers. I don't have those memories. Um, but I um, I guess I was, the seed was planted to a degree, you know. And then um, I made my way to a meeting on a Monday at lunchtime where there was a bunch of people in a rehab. Um, and I didn't stay clean. But of course I didn't stay clean. How could I? Um, but I made my way to this rehab and oh, to this um, meeting on a Monday in um, Darlinghurst again. And um, there's a bunch of people from a rehab, the We Have Ourselves rehab, which is now located, it was in Pitt Street, Redfern, now it's in Roselle. Um, and I just spoke to these people and like a fucking lost puppy, I walked back to this rehab with them. Just cold, just walked back with them. You know, I was that fucked. Didn't even get the shit there where I was staying. I didn't give a fuck. I just, I spoke to this guy, John R. He had um, what seemed a zillion years clean. 
Um, he had really, really intense eyes. I remember he was intensely focused. Um, he looked like he had hard eyes, but he was, um, and this is where I'll get a little bit emotional because I love, there's a couple of people who I really love in this rehab who are my friends still today, 25 years later. He um, sat me down and spoke to me and um, he let me in. And um, I stayed in this rehab for six months, um, earning the ire of the, a lot of the staff there because I used to need rave a lot. And I used to think that I knew everything and I knew nothing. Um, and my experience in this rehab for the first time was, um, I think it gave me an opportunity to get the fuck out of society. And I think it gave society an opportunity to get away from me as well. Um, it introduced me to the 12 step fellowship because they would do two meetings a day and one a day on the weekends. So I was made to do, not made to do, there was no bars on the door. So they did in their program, they did 12 meetings a week. And that's where I was exposed to Narcotics Anonymous and, um, and to some people that I'm still friends with today, you know. Um, and I, um, I got some good lessons. I, um, I was supported to make my bed and to wash my coffee cup. And um, the intention behind it was it wasn't the elephants that were going to get me, but the white ants, you know. It's the small things. If I couldn't do the small things, I'm no chance of doing the big things. And some of these things are good takeaways for me, you know. And, and again, it's like that NA speak stuff, you know. Um, some of the stuff I still I still use today because it means something to me. It just reminds me, you know, it puts me back in in a, in a, in a headspace that um, is a positive. It's a positive experience for me anyway. And uh, so I did this, you know, and then I spent four months opening um, a halfway house for men out of this rehab, and that was a great experience, you know. But there was always in my mind that life and the other life. So there was this NA life, this being clean life, but there was also this other world that I was still thinking about, you know, and it had to do with music and had to do with, you know, that sort of crazy part of how I used to live and whatnot and I yearned for it and I missed it. Um, so I never ever settled on the fact that I needed to take what I learned and what made sense to me into my world, you know what I mean? Just take that as part of the, the training ground into the into the playing field type of thing, you know? And um, I kind of went out into the world, started to work, um, did the meetings, did service, did all that stuff, you know, from the outside, it looked like I was doing good, you know? And um, I remember one day, or a couple of times I used to see this guy selling a, a big issue. It was a lot of these people, the homeless people sell this magazine. Um, uh, to just get him back into the workforce and stuff. And I used to see this guy outside of this um, train station who I was in rehab with and I knew it was using, you know. And um, by that time, I had sufficiently spent enough time away from treatment and by my own devices and had a girlfriend and, you know, I was living in this nice little apartment and shit down Piermont where all the casinos are and, and whatnot. And... Um, I just started to see him on the bus ride to work and back all the time, you know. And, um, shy of 18 months clean, I, um, I was about 16, only 17 months clean. I, um, I decided to uh, take a little venture into the Piermont Hotel and there was a bar lady there, bar girl there, who was just gorgeous. 
And I thought it was a really good idea to sit down and order a schooner of beer and just so I could, um, you know. And um, I went home, I had a shower, I convinced myself that I was okay within an hour up with that guy at the big selling the big issue, walking to his dealer's place, getting a shot of smack. And it was all over Red Rover. So all the shit that I'd gone through, all the detox horrors I'd went through, and coming back and doing meetings and service and stuff just went out the door. Because for me, in retrospect, and I'd since written about it, um, I wasn't capable of connecting with the principles that I'd learned in, 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 I guess, in the stuff that I wrote about and the stuff that I was trying to live by because I had, you know, I mean, I had some doubts. I had some um, misgivings about, you know, there was still stuff. There was still stuff that I wasn't sure about that I hadn't really committed to. And so I used, you know, and um, that four months was was kind of the most pathetic using that I'd ever done because I don't know, and it's a good thing. I think, again, in hindsight, it was a good thing that I bashed myself up that much in that whole using history, that 14 years where I hooked in, um, that I was really, really fatigued. And I ended up not using more than I did use, you know. And um, on the 12th of April, 1998, um, I didn't get credit from my dealer. I hung out all night and I walked to the same rehab. It was um, Easter, it was a public holiday. And I walked to that same rehab and I knocked on the door and a guy who was working there that two years prior, he was still working there. He was now the program coordinator. Um, and he too had a zillion years and had a real stern look at his eye. Um, he told me to wait out the front and made me wait out there for two hours, the prick. And um, he came out and spoke to me. And I love this man. I love this man. Um, he's, um, he's got like 42 years clean now, you know. Um, uh, he, um, he made me go and get all my stuff. And he said, you've got to come back here with your eyes the same as what they are now. And I did. And I got my shit, got the guitars that I had still and a little black and white TV and a bag of clothes. And I fucking waddled back. And I've got to say, as this son of a Serbian man from the western suburbs of Sydney who never shows their emotions, who doesn't ask for a favour and never shows their feelings, I fucking cried like a baby for the first week I was back in treatment. Lassie didn't come home, I cried like a baby. Tom Cruise drove through the thunder, days of thunder, I drove through the, the smoke, and I cried like a baby. I used to fucking just break down and some of the programme coordinators go, oh, fuck, here he comes, you know. And, um, and I used to target this one guy, Martin, who ended up becoming my sponsor. Um, the most gentlest of men I've ever met um, turned out to be the most ruthless of sponsors that I'd ever had. Um, he would not let me go past the bold headline. We had to get to the nature of what we were talking about, you know, and I really appreciated that from him, that he was... Um, it wasn't so much that he was hard as in he was aggressive. It was just the fact that he, he, um, he, he just was really good at what he did, you know. Um, he really understood the concept of it, and which I believe I'm a terrible sponsor. I don't sponsor people. I'm really passive. But um, I really appreciated that man. And so those three men um, that I, circumstances, they, put, they were put in my life, you know, that still today are my friends.
I don't see them that much. I don't talk to them that much, but we are completely 100% comfortable with each other and um, can have conversations about anything still today, which is a wonderful thing. And um, they do mainstream NA, so I don't really, <laughs> you know, they talk about high powers and stuff like that. So there's part of it that I, you know, the reasons why I don't see them that much, but um, so um, where am I up to? Yeah, I'm up to there. So the shift in me from that first week was that, um, and again, something I wrote about later in my step work was um, it stopped being a, an intellectual Olympics and it became an emotional exercise in connecting um, with my heart. And I was able to understand that there was so much nonsense going on between these two things that came into here and was just putting, and it was just difficult to try and get to the journey, that longest journey to the heart, you know, and connect with it. And um, but something has shifted, and all through all those tears, I um I felt it, and I was able to breathe. Um, I just felt like my using was done, you know. And I'm not saying I'll never use, I'll never drink, or never whatever again, but I just felt that I kind of was at a place where, you know, there was a door closing, you know, and um, and so it was an opportunity for me to take with both hands, an opportunity to actually sort of start to do something positive in my life, you know. And like I said, because I had no concept of the whole atheist thing other than I just didn't believe in God, um, the journey for the next 20-odd years was about um, the literature and parroting that literature and reading it out and saying it and the serenity prayer, you know, God grant me the serenity, all that sort of shit, you know, just saying it, you know. And um, But there's a lot of good stuff that's happened in between. You know, there's a lot of good stuff, especially I, I always refer to the first three steps were the foundation that I still rely upon today when I talk about honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. And for me and what Martin's um, sort of, I guess, supported me on was that I was able to use those three adjectives and sort of go anywhere with them, just go anywhere with them, you know? And um, and I've been able to do that. And it's helped me in so many situations that I've experienced in my life. You know, I got married. Um, I met someone when I was two years clean. We got pregnant, um, got married because I thought that's what I've got to do, you know, and did that and was with them for 13 years and had two children. and. Um, became this sort of kind of solid citizen, you know. Um, stopped playing music, which I miss terribly. You know, I retired. Um, but became the primary income earner and had a lot of responsibility. Um, and so there was a big chunk of my life through that middle part of being in the fellowship that um, I guess... I don't say spirituality. I don't sort of use those words. I just, um, just emotionally, I sort of kind of forgot about myself for a big chunk of it because of my focus with me and my partner were on our children and they became a big focus. And um, so there was a lot of, um, I guess, a lot of stuff that sort of kind of built up that wasn't sort of tended to and wasn't paid attention to, but just sort of drifting along and going through the motion with me and my, my, my um, now ex. She's in, she's in the fellowship as well. She's got 22 years up. Um, but I stayed clean, you know, I stayed staunch and I still, I guess I still had that resonance with the fact that there wasn't two lives anymore. It was just, this was my life, you know, and this is how I wanted to live my life. And, um, and so, you know, stayed clean, went through all that. And um, 
I believe that Narcotics Anonymous has helped me be a good dad. You know, I wanted to be hands-on. I wanted to change their nappies. I wanted to talk to my now teenage daughters about depilatory products and periods and fucking boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever the fuck, whatever the, whatever's going on for me. And I've learned a lot of that stuff by coming here and speaking to people who had some sort of um, knowledge on whatever the topic may be, who weren't trying to fucking teach me or coach me or educate me or parent me, but were just trying to support me on their own um, experiences, you know, and their own histories. And, um, and I really appreciated that. And especially in the secular community, I've got that a lot more than the mainstream. Um, and so, you know, I, I got to the point where I'm, um, I'm separated eight years ago. It took me two years to realise that I was single. It's taken me the next six years or so to, um, um, to really to get to know myself. Um, and I think there's some element of um, truth in the fact that um, it's not written anywhere. And I fucking hate when people make it truths that they're not truths, that you, know, you shouldn't get in a relationship with the person, which is bullshit. It's not written anywhere. But um, for me, it was actually quite important to actually spend some time with myself to actually to find some authenticity and what the fuck was going on up here and what was coming out here and then my actions, you know. And um, I did a third, fourth step um, in the ocean. I did a fifth step with a mate of mine who was like less than six months clean. He was the guy that I leaned on that I trusted. Um, they'd been in the program for 10 years but just was constitutionally incapable of staying off the drugs but was clean at the time. And I was quite comfortable sharing a four step with him in the surf while we're fucking just body surfing. And it was a wonderful experience. And again, he, he was there just to listen. He wasn't there to try and educate me or parent me. He was just there to support me um, through the empathy and the understanding of a like-minded individual with um, similar interests. You know, so I've done three, four steps and fifth steps and they were focusing on, um, sorry, I'm jumping a bit, but um, the first one was about, NA told me that I had to do it. You know, I got to that point. I don't want two and three. I wrote about it to the best of my ability. What the fuck I wrote about, it, I don't know. I was crazy. You know, I was in the first two years of my life in the fellowship and I was just nuts. Um, and the, the first four step was 32 A4 pages long. My poor sponsor at the time had to sit and listen to this. You know, these, these things, 32 of those fucking things. I don't know if that's small or large. I don't know. But it was tight writing. There was a lot of words on there, you know. I know now why he made me pay for all the coffees, you know, but um, it was a, it was a, it was probably the first opportunity I had to trust someone, because apart from all the issues that I brought to the table when I came here, um, the trust was the big one, you know, the anxiety in my belly that the clock hand was going backwards, but the trust was because I'm, you know, I'm one of those dudes that can tick a lot of those boxes as a narcissist and stuff, you know, and just a, a, an isolated by myself kind of guy that doesn't trust the world. It was a big leap to put it out there to, to, um, to share with someone stuff that I was going to the grave with. And because when I was writing about it, when I was answering these questions, um, I couldn't understand. And I still actually struggle with a lot of the literature, a lot of the, the speak on what the fuck has that got to do with me? Stop jacking up smack, you know? What has that got to do with me? Stop shooting heroin, you know? And, um, but I did the best I could, you know, I, at the time I did the best I could. And, um, but it was, I guess the takeaway for me was that I, um, I was able to trust this dude, you know, and what it did is it instilled a little bit of empathy in me for my fellow addict, 
you know, and I was able to sponsor some people in early days. And um, this dear, dear, dear lad, um, Heath, he um, he asked me to sponsor him. Um, he was terrified of the fact that he was um, attracted to men, but it was such a good-looking guy. He was a musician, but all the girls loved him and struggled with it. And we spent hours talking about it. He killed himself because he couldn't. And uh, it was one of the things that stopped me sponsoring people. You know, it, it fucking it was just really painful. But I had that experience where it, it showed me that I could show some empathy. You know, some, to to be a human being to other human beings, and um, and it just laid a, a I guess a foundation in me that um, I did want to be here. I did want to stay clean in the NA fellowship, and um, I used to call it being in recovery. I don't call it that anymore. Um, free thinkers meeting, so I guess I can say what I want. Um, second one was all about my dad. I was terrified that I was going to become my father. I was going to be that guy who was living by himself, who had no friends, um, family didn't want to borrow him, and living somewhere the fuck far away somewhere. It was out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. And, um, and so I had to do something with that. And I was able to do that. And I'm not sure what I got from it because I'm still one of those guys who's fucking, you know, I struggle. I struggle with the, the concept of bonding with my fellow human. And um, But I'm a lot better. And I'm a lot better since I found this secular community because I found the fact that I don't have to be the big fish in a little pond. And I've been, especially lately, venturing out a lot more and socialising and interacting with the world without the fear of... Um, or am I going to bust just because I'm engaging with people who are drinking or who are passively, you know, whatever it is, smoking pot or, or whatever the fuck it is, whatever the environment is, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that it's only recently happened. Um, I haven't wanted to use drugs from fucking pretty much that first week, that first day, you know. Because um, one of the other things, I guess, that I forgot to mention was... Um, I feel fortunate that consequential thinking was put in my path really, really quickly. And um, the consequences of the decisions I make, and maybe that was a thing that Martin kind of supported me on when we were sitting down um, in our many hundreds of conversations and step work and all that sort of stuff. But just the, the sheer fact that there is consequences to every decision I make. Um, you know, and another sponsor said to me, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. So make a decision where you want to put yourself in the day, you know. So all that kind of stuff, you know. And that stuff still means something to me today. It really does. It's really important. And um, those key sort of phrase takeaways that I use, you know, I used to have a, a band on my, my wrist to remind me. I'd flick myself and i remember that stuff, you know. And I had to do that. I had to do it because, I don't know, I think drugs sufficiently fucked me, my, my brain up enough that I had to do it, you know. Um, and I've been doing it for, as I said, for a long time now, um, that it's it's my setting, it's my default setting, that I don't go and kick my toe on the side of the door and go, I'm going to fucking jack up gear now, I'm, I'm going to run away. It's like I try and fucking live in the solution, you know, and, um, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect in everything that I do, quite the opposite. Again, the secular community has shown me that I can be incredibly flawed, incredibly inappropriate but incredibly me, I'm allowed to be me, you know, and I'm accepted 
in this community especially. And I'll say it, I am accepted a lot more in this secular community that are those meetings that I do and the people that I've met and engage with than I've ever felt in mainstream Narcotics Anonymous. I feel there's, um, there's a big disparity between the both. And whether that's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. That's just how I feel. So I feel more comfortable doing the meetings that I do on that secular meeting list. And um, so here I am 23 years later. I'm, um, I'm 56. I just turned 56. I had a heart attack two and a half years ago. I had stents put in. I stopped smoking that, that day of my surgery. Um, I've, um, I've changed my life in regards to, um, I look after myself physically a lot better now. I still don't smoke. So I'm not a non-smoker. I haven't smoked since, I just don't smoke. I've lost 14 kilos since this COVID shutdown. So I'm actually feeling quite okay about myself. And emotionally, um, I don't think I've ever been as comfortable in my skin as I have been in this recent past. And and probably to do with a bit of ego around my body image. And I've, I've spent the last couple of months in dental, getting a lot of dental work done and stuff like that. <clears throat> but it, it is it is part of it, you know. It is part of it. It's part of the deal that um I've got to feel about, I've got to feel good about who I am, you know, and what I look like. But I also understand that if I'm no good inside, if I don't feel okay about my insides, then whatever the fucking going on can be going on the outside, and it doesn't mean jack shit, you know. I'm very aware of that. And um, but I think um just making that decision just to move away, um, not stop doing it, but just just to be comfortable to say, you know what, I don't need anyone to speak for me anymore. And it's probably been like that for over a year now. And I share about it when I do the, the meetings. Um, I feel kind of good about it. You know, and I understand that sometimes when I used to go to meetings and I wouldn't see the old timers around as much anymore. And I, I wonder what happened to them, you know, it's like the old rock and rollers. And, and then I just realized that we do get lives. You know, Narcotics Anonymous, it's even in the literature, it actually says about getting back into the community sooner rather than later. So, you know, I'm quite completely comfortable with people living their life whatever the way they want to do it, believing in what they want to believe in, um, immersing themselves in a million meetings a week, all that sort of stuff, whatever floats the person's boat, that's cool. But it's not for this dude here, you know, that's just something that I just... I made a decision that I just can't be that guy because um, it's something about it's something about being a fraud. It's something about the that statement that I used to make. I think I think I am. You know, think I'm I'm just I'm just thirty days. I'm just sixty days. You know, I'd question I'd question the authenticity and fucking the, what what I'm thinking and what I'm saying. You know, I'm saying things. So I want people to believe it about me, but knowing that I'm going to do the complete opposite, you know, I had to find that truth within myself. And, um, I'm, um, I think I'm growing up to a degree, but I'm also um, still incredibly immature to a large degree. And I like that about myself. I understand why the fucking Rolling Stones are still playing music at 80 odd years of age, even though they've got a new drummer now, you know. Um, I like the fact that I can um, be a 56-year-old single male with a six-month-old 
Manx Cat, who's the father of two wonderful teenage daughters um, and has a, a really healthy relationship with his ex-partner, um, has esteem in the community through um, interaction that I have with people in my community, um, has respect in his professional environment because I bring the principles that I've got from here, from you guys, that's, and I bring them to my, my work environment because I know that regardless of the title that I have, I need to be transparent for my own comfortability. You know what I mean? The consequences, the, um, the authenticity in my voice, in my actions and stuff like that. And, um, and it doesn't mean that I'm seeking to be a perfect human being. It just means that I just want to fucking feel comfortable about who I am as me, you know? And because um, I've never put my name on the top of that list about making amends to, I really, um, to a large degree, I still think very little about myself, you know? Um, there's, lots, there's lots going on that's still incredibly flawed, um, but I make no um, apologies for that today because the secular community allows me to be myself and um, I'm really, really grateful. You know, there's people, people in the rooms that, um, you know, Todd in his, um, his conviction of the message, you know, and his drive regardless of, of consequences. I really love that about that man, you know, and Elvis and Ronnie, you know, Marsha, I love hearing Marsha speak. I love hearing her voice and the way she IDs, you know, and watching her fall asleep at our, at our Australian meetings <laughs> and playing the Canadian national anthem to try and wake her up. <laughs> that was a hoot. Um, yeah, so look, I'm, I'm, I'm searching and I'm reaching now. So I reckon I'm, I reckon I'm comfortable with what I've said. And I don't know if any of it's any good and you'd probably delete the recording, but um, I'm glad that I got the opportunity to, to say some words. So I, I wish you all another 24 and thank you. Thank you, Marshall, for allowing me to do this. Thank you all. Cool.